stand by my uh, assertion that that song, <laughs> along with others from Hoobastank, totally slaps uh, from my co-host. Joining me, as always, Pat Staley. What say you about the Hoobastank intro? I don't want to say what, what's on my mind. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it, but I said it earlier on Twitter, and that is Hoobastank, <laughs> or maybe if Adam Lalana uh, was could be captured as a band, he would be Hoobastank. <laughs> and that you know how deeply that hurts me. So it feels like it's it's very personal when you when you specifically bring up Lalana in that in that <laughs> context. But uh, we'll we'll get to Adam uh, a little lot, a little later on. Um, but first, um, so we were able to uh, we were able to to meet up. For the first time in in a few years, or not a few years, in in a few months, the show, <laughs> uh, the show. since uh, Christmas time, I guess in Chicago, uh, yeah. would have been the last the last meeting, and uh, so we were able to get get together back in El Paso, and we we discussed the word slaps uh, a little bit. Yeah, amongst amongst many uh, topics of conversation that that we had, it was almost like our own little personal podcast so we should have just slapped a microphone down and recorded but uh <laughs> yeah I, I was intrigued because you're always more uh you know with in line with what the cool kids are saying and your fellow kids but uh yeah i i, w- I was seeking clarification on on how something could be classified as slaps yeah i mean and hoobastank did not further clarify that for me uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit more confused now. No, slaps is just. I mean, it's it's a it's a bangs, uh, <laughs> like any anything in that realm, you know. If it bangs, it could slap. I think slap is even more uh, emphatic than bang. Okay, like if it's so in the banger, hierarchy of, but of no one really says that it's a slapper. <laughs> you know, like people yeah. say, "Oh, that's a banger." Like no one really says it's a slapper. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you you can run with it. See if it catches on. <laughs> I mean, I've been saying it, and uh, I mean, so uh-huh. my my wife does not does not think that slaps is is a thing. So she jokingly says it to make fun of me. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really all that all you can ask for. Yeah, ex- absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I mean, along in that visit, we also uh, enjoyed. 
some uh, a few agave agave based uh, spirits, um, mm. four different ones in fact. Um, so that was a nice little education. Uh, tequila and mezcal are not the only ones out there. Um, we found out, but we also enjoyed a fine brew that was at the top of the charts uh, in our Two Red Gringos Mexican beer uh, survey, mm-hmm. and yet still isn't uh, at the top of, of certain followers' lists. I was thinking about it, because I, uh, I think we should peel it back another layer and maybe do a little bit of research into, I don't know, some larger beer sites and, like, the ratings that they have. Because when I went into it, it was like, you know, Modelo Negro was like a, a 2.8 out of 5 or something like that. And I'm like, are you crazy? And I started thinking about it. These are not, like, craft, like, I don't know what what those on Twitter, as we saw today, would would you know call like highly specialized or flavorful, flavorful beers. <laughs> they they are like the general ones, right? So if like we made a top ten list of like widespread American beers and included like Budweiser, you know Coors, Miller Lite, the, these are not like we're not going out and saying like these are the most amazing beers of all time. Right. We're just trying to capture, you know, what what are the heavy hitters in that hierarchy because there is a real hierarchy that exists in in mexican beers and it captured it as, as yeah the haters the haters work yeah yeah tons of haters uh all over the all over the shop so we had a lot of haters on on uh on modelo negra but we stand by it and i think it i think it holds up um as we as we enjoyed it the other night, I enjoyed it thoroughly, um, despite being a snob myself. So, uh, <laughs> you know, no issue, no issues there. Uh, so, without without belaboring that too much, um, you you made a trip out to the uh, Mercado today and and picked out some fine uh, selections. So, which poisons are you enjoying uh, on, during this fine episode? All right, I I just want to let everybody know I'm already starting on number three because I, I was excited for you know and we still we we're still getting that you know I'm on Central Time you're on Mountain Time yeah so you were like oh we'll record such and such time so I I went to the fridge I popped open a uh, you know the Cucapa Chupacabra that yeah. that I'm usually raving about modest you know somewhere around like mid fives mm-hmm. for ABV because that's been a hot hot topic for us lately right <laughs> and then I. Then I moved into why my bill was so extravagant at the uh, at the Mercado. Um, first one was the uh, Tenebrosa, a pale ale from La Chingoneria. And then now I'm moving into one I don't usually delve into. It's from uh, Cyprez, uh, C-Y-P-R-E-Z, both local to Mexico City. And it's a Saison? 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 Is it? It's French. Is it? I, it's French. Okay, I, I always feel a little awkward putting those putting those <laughs> accents on it, but, but it's act, it's actually pretty good. Normally, they can kind of get a little weedy or farm ale or sour, but uh, right. this one this one's solid. Yeah, that's a uh, well. Hopefully, that can appease some of our uh, haters, aka, AKA uh, Puck, out there um, in the in the Twitterverse who who really criticized our our enjoyment of of IPAs and pale ales. Um, because we do tend to skew that way a little bit in our craft beer selections. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, he, he came at Stan pretty hard, too. <laughs> and going at Stan's one thing, but I, I know Stan's going to back up the, the hop quad. So, <laughs> so, so if you come up the hop quad, you best not... You, you best, best not miss. We know, uh, we know Stan, too, is not one to be messed with on Twitter or in real Just life be because he'll, he will tackle you, um, whether you're a human or a, or a car. So... Um, Especially after he's got a couple shots of fireball in him. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the other thing that that they went after was the ABV, um, and that was uh, that was Jeff DeBishop, I think, uh, on Twitter. Very very uh, good dude involved in a lot of the American soccer talk, but runs a brewery, um, and so has has fairly uh, you know bespoke tastes in that <laughs> he makes his own beer literally. So. Um, he would probably hate a little bit on my selections tonight, um, but I've got. I think I may have had this one on the pod before, but I couldn't really pass up a, a nice tropical stone IPA, Scorpion Bowl mm. IPA. So I got a, I got the big guy that uh, the full pint um, at at seven point five. Um, but then mm. I've got the because uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to play a little bit of catch up here with you three deep and and me just starting off so. Uh, but then I've got a uh, my my follow up is a St Arnold's Pub Crawl Pale Ale, just a nice mm. sessionable pale ale. So trying to ease out of that you know <laughs> heavy IPA and uh, kind of ride the wave the second half of the show. So um, so yeah, the show. Yeah. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll jump right into it. But Palace away, Liverpool come away with a two nothing victory. Um, obviously. Salah earns the pen, which Milner scores, and then Mane with the classic counter launched off a Palace corner, um, which we we've come to enjoy so so much over these past couple seasons. So, with uh, with that being said, I want to just like uh, like I say in this outline, I just want to get this out of the way. The controversy surrounding the Palace game what what is what is driving this controversy in your eyes? It's the, uh, I'm going to come out and say it, I, I, and I think the only club that maybe doesn't have it would be United, but there's always going to be this inferiority complex that exists from the cities, the Chelsea's, even some of the more historic clubs that find themselves further down the table, and it's, <laughs> we haven't really been able to see it before. Last time we saw it was was penalty pool, <laughs> when when it seemed like when it seemed like the majority of the calls were going our way. But that's why I came with, with the all-caps tweet today. Mm-hmm. I stopped short of putting the clap in between every single word because, you know, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel quite, quite that sassy to pull that off. But this is just the start of it. Like, in, <laughs> if, if we are pushing towards, if it's not this season or next, if we're pushing towards a title challenge, you have to get these sort of calls. It's just the, the, the stats from last year in terms of refereeing decisions, especially in front of the cop, were just horrific. There's a, there's, a clear, there's a clear bias, not necessarily against Liverpool, but probably in terms of this, I'm not going to be intimidated by this you know, kind of historic, historic ground. So, <laughs> but if we are pushing for title, we are going to see this more and more. Because those decisions just have to go your way. Otherwise, you're just going to lose out on those results. So this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? A, sola, a blatant, blatant penalty 
by the way, in a blatant red card uh, that Salah was able to draw. It, <laughs> just imagine, like, it, for, for whatever reason, like the Mane offside goal didn't, didn't even register now. People were just infuriated with, with Salah. And <laughs> the more that this happens, I am, and I've got extra cigars now because whenever we met up, I, you know, I, I forgot to bring you one. But <laughs> I'm getting the cigars ready throughout the season because I am just, after every single one of these, I'm just going to light one up and enjoy it. And yeah. just, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld, just laughing <laughs> as Elaine's count the cash. Yeah. Because there, there's got to be more to come. And, and God knows we deserve it. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we talk about the atti- attitude of referees towards, towards the big teams. And it's, it's hilarious, actually, how fans view referees. Because as soon as I saw Michael Oliver in charge of the, of the match, I thought, no, we're not getting anything out of this. You know, he in the in the big moments, is he really gonna uh, make the right decision? And two times he made very difficult calls, and uh, you know, away from home against a big team, uh, he he was able to you know in a in Selhurst Park in a tough environment, uh, he actually made two pretty big decisions that I think he got absolutely correct, and it's been so strange watching the reaction to it because um, I think people are at the point where they just expect um, the referee to side, you know, when in doubt, side with the smaller club. When in doubt, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, which, uh, you know, I don't have the stats to back it up, but I think if you looked at Lester's title run, there might be some data in there to support the fact that referees gave them decisions versus uh, big teams, which, you know, helped them on the way. Um, but you can see in Liverpool's, uh, it was run by ESPN FC, who normally we're not that supportive of, but the luck index, um, if they uh, had gotten all of the decisions correct, uh, last season, according to you know referee, a referee panel, uh, we'd be twelve. We would have been twelve points better off. So, twelve <laughs> points. We would have finished on eighty-seven points, which most of the time is enough to win the league. That's, I mean, um, you know, last season it wouldn't have gotten us a, a title, but it would have put a second comfortably uh, ten points clear of Tottenham. Yeah. So that's where we should too, right? And yeah, the the eye test more or less kind of tells you that, but. Um, but so I, I agree with you that, uh, you know, the controversy is, is manufactured, um, in this case. And we were watching the game, uh, we didn't have sound. Uh, and so the controversy kind of, kind of passed by us because I thought it was a clear penalty watching it in real time. Um, I thought it was obvious, saw the replay, it just, it just confirmed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, mama had to do it to him. You know, that's the, (laughs) um, but yeah, the, the controversy here is, is null and void. And, um, anyone who knows Mo Salah and has seen him play last season knows that he's not, he's not looking to draw pens. Um, That's, that's the perfect thing. There is, there is no controversy. Both, like both, were the right calls. Like, if there's an uproar over Mane's offside goal, then that's one thing. But I think for offside goals, they always find the fault in the linesman. Oh, like, oh, that linesman shit. If there's like a fifty-fifty pen or maybe the red card decision that that went against Palace in this case, then it's oh, you know, Salah selling it, and, and we put this emphasis on the players that are overselling it. But it, I mean, 
with Sala moving, you know, t- 20 miles an hour and gets his leg clipped, you know, you're, you're going to look like you took a sniper bullet to the head. Right. So getting the controversy surrounding the, the goal and the red card out of the way, um, I want to talk about the, the other end of the pitch, which obviously got a lot of attention. It's second, second straight clean sheet for a new center back pairing and a new goalkeeper. Um, so that back three in defense, um, they just look comfortable out there against Palace, didn't they? Oof. And just for clarification, when we say back three, we mean our amazing center back pairing and Allison, our new, you know, best best goalkeeper in the world after two games. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say just watching. So obviously the big money signings are, are Virgil van Dijk and Allison. And a lot. I saw a lot of people... Uh, tipping verge for for man of the match and and i wouldn't begrudge that um he just he's very he's he's the personification of calmness um in on that back line and with allison now back there as well it that you have a lot of players who just keep their head um even when put under pressure um yeah and and i think you can you can see that influence in a game like this well, that's, that's paving the way for Big Joe Gomez, right? Like, Van Dyke and Alisson are, like, the fact that you can, well, <laughs> the goalie record's already been broken by Chelsea, but the fact that you can, like, shatter a center back and goalkeeper, like, record transfer fee, and after a couple games not have a single word said about it, just kind of goes to show, just like you said, the calming influence, but just, like, be, just even beyond that, like, Looking at, I know we'll talk about this with Kaita, but like XG chain and XG buildup, like Van Dyke, pretty high up on that list, but also, also cracking the list is Alisson on <laughs> on the XG chain. That 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 that's a goalkeeper, like yeah. linking up with that too. Um, so that's it's it's exactly why you you break a record transfer fee on those players is because it's not just do you get consistent world-class performances, but you get something extra out of them that helps elevate to the team to the next level. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, bringing up, bringing up Joe Gomez, uh, he slotted in so well, uh, into the, into that back line in these first two games. He's, he hasn't even looked, uh, he hasn't looked out of his depth at all. No, um, hasn't looked troubled. He, he, he really has kind of taken on the qualities of, of Virgil, um, in, in playing back there with him. And I'm, I'm sure they've both benefited from a, a long summer, um, able to train together for, for a while with Verge, you know, obviously not in the world cup and, and Joe the same. Um, although after the way he's been playing, um, if he can keep, keep up at this pace, he'll, he'll find himself in plenty of world cups for England. Um, but one of the one of the things that you know the the defense looking comfortable and actually being comfortable are, are kind of two different things. Um, as we know, eye tests are are don't often pass the uh, the stat uh, test. But uh, in this game, we had we had a case of the stats kind of backing up uh, the fact that even though uh, Liverpool felt it felt like Liverpool was kind of being stymied by Palace and Palace were maybe yeah. gonna fashion some some chances on the break uh we we took a look at and uh shout out to um 
to I believe it's Michael Cayley, um, yeah, who run who who does some good uh, expected goals stats um, and stat maps. Um, yeah, Michael Cayley, he he broke it down in the first half and then in the whole game. And despite uh, the game kind of feeling one way, Crystal Palace uh, at the half had a point one expected goals <laughs> and at the end of the game had a point five. Um, so more or less, uh, Liverpool allowed a clean sheet, uh, worth of expected goals. Um, because they really had one palace really had one big chance, um, the whole game, but no clear cut chances. Uh, aside from that, I think that cross across the box was the one moment where everyone kind of held their collective breath. Yeah. Uh, at one nothing, couple clinch butt cheeks out there. But so is that so with the with the back line the way it is uh, and allowing that low in expected goals is that just a sign that this Liverpool defense is finally kind of sorted um, from a time when at that at one nothing or even you know with it approaching that late stage of the game you just expect to concede that equalizer. <laughs> I think you know I love a two zero. 2-0 score line. Yeah. And this was like, this is like the quintessential one. Like maybe if that second goal had come a little bit earlier, but the 2-0 in terms of there's no, you know, it changes the narrative after the match, right? Like if you win 1-0, oh, it's all Liverpool struggled. You know, they, you know, there's still same old problems, even if it's a 1-0 win or a clean sheet. Uh, but, but that 2-0 just, I, I think it does the score line justice because we're going to praise conversation that like, Oh, let's focus the, the top or the, the back three are outperforming the front three, but it's, but it's not really the case, right? It's kind of more the same after what really after that, that Tottenham blowout against us, this this has kind of been that Liverpool, right? But I, I'm I'm glad because I think with with Gomez in there, he kind of embodies Van Dyke more so than a lover, and and that's that kind of calming presence where we're not just giving up low amounts of shots, but we're giving up low quality chances as well, right? We're not giving those opportunities, and even like the you know Townsend hit Townsend hit the crossbar or whatever. Um, whether or not Allison had it covered is <laughs> is debatable, but Allison still made a couple of crucial saves mm-hmm. that I don't know if Carius if Mignole makes that, and so that's kind of that credit to Allison, and that's why he's justifying the price tag, albeit after two games, is because he's going above and beyond to keep shots like that out that were really kind of sinking us in years before, right? Where Mignole and even Carius, probably to a greater extent, are solid keepers, but they weren't doing enough in terms of keeping the expected goals in our favor. Right. So that's, that's what I'm happy about. But even, even as we praise that back three, our front three are still leading the league (laughs) in (laughs) in expected goals. Right. Right. So there's, there's not much detrimental we can say about that. The, uh, and I think we might get a little bit into this in the, uh, in our social media kind of roundup at the end of this. Yeah. Um, but a, a few stats had, had come out just in terms of, uh, cause obviously there was a, there was a big, um, kind of roar, I guess, uh, on 
in the media and social media about Ederson's assist uh, against Huddersfield. Um, but uh, Alex Mansfield, and we'll revisit this, but his Ederson's XG chain, so the moves that start or uh, that go through a certain player, like the expected goals of those of those moves, his XG chain is 0.19. Allison, through two games, 0.65. Yeah. <laughs> so despite the fact that Allison hasn't assisted a goal, Ederson has an assist and his XG chain is 0.19. Allison has strictly been a part of, of buildup and has, has a 0.65 um, per 90, which is just absurd. So... Um, I think, I think the value of Allison is often kind of missed because as soon as the keeper collects, we as Liverpool fans don't really look at his next pass because we expect it to either sail into the stands or, uh, go short. And Allison actually completed, I think, 11 long passes against Crystal Palace. (laughs) Which is insane, like midfielder type number, like elite midfielder type numbers. There's um, nobody else in the world. Like, when, I I don't even know. Like, when when has this level? And still, it's over. It's over the course of two games. But it's not like these <laughs> these passes aren't flukes. You know, it's not like oh somebody's run over. It. Like he like he's in the top twenty in terms of XG buildup, right? Which is XG chain without. Uh, I think shots and, and assists or mm-hmm. key passes maybe. So it's mostly fullbacks, center backs, and um, kind of more box to box or defensive midfielders. And then there's Allison on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's what I'm saying. Like there, you won't hear a single word about the transfer fee because it's not just doing that's, that's the thing with goalkeepers, right? Number one, you got to be a shot stopper uh, and he's doing that, but then to take it to that level if he can keep that up, I think that's why that's why we've looked so good in in possession, I think to start the year from you know from the front to the back and including the midfield is because it it kind of starts with that distribution, and we're not scrambling in, in poor positions. he's finding an open player, and then we're able to build from that too. so he's really been <laughs> he's really been kind of acting as acting as kind of a number six where where Henderson has really been filling that role before. So speaking of, speaking of a player that's just come in and impressed immediately, we'd be, we'd be remiss to, I didn't even bother naming this section midfield, uh, in, (laughs) in the, in the, in our Google doc, I, I named it Nabi Keita, um, because have you ever seen a player come into Liverpool and just look so comfortable and so, uh, he seems like he's above it. Honestly, he seems like the game is is too slow paced, uh, <laughs> and he's he's looking to challenge himself. You know, at at a at any given moment, he just he looks so in control. Is it? Have you ever seen a player come into the Premier League and and just make it look easy? It. I mean, maybe no. I think Arsenal fans are probably who's their new. Uh, Defensive midfielder, the French, the young French dude. Oh, Genduzzi. Yeah, like they—they're probably saying the same thing about him, except he—he he didn't have a great first game. His second game was pretty good uh, against Chelsea, but <laughs> Keita, like, 
just the way that he's flowing through the midfield. It's almost like when you play FIFA, but you're like controlling like the one the one player, and you can just kind of float around and do whatever you want. Like that's that's his level of performance. And what's scary is it looks like he's about in third gear right now, just kind of floating through. Not, I think there was one sequence in the first game where he really got into the box, beat about three defenders, it got away from him. But there's not that kind of attacking emphasis. Um, He's still uh, like a huge part of the buildup, but there's not quite that like that that deadly looking attacking prowess that that he's shown so far. And I think that that's the only part of his game that maybe he's kind of feeling out. Like when when do I move forward? When do I keep my position uh, and not push too far up the pitch um, to leave him exposed? But I mean, just the way that he's linking up with everybody around him and just kind of being a, a central conduit to our, our possession game has been, has been unbelievable. The, the moment of the match obviously against Crystal Palace was, was the turn oh. that left Andros Thompson just jogging <laughs> into the stand. Uh, and then immediately he takes, you know, he takes another touch spots, Mo Salah running in behind and, and finds him perfectly. And I think, I think if this is two games from now, and Salah is in is in his you know reaching his his top form. Um, yeah, I think he takes it down and chips the keeper, and and no one we we have one of possibly one of the greatest assists of all time uh, in a Liverpool shirt in a player's second game. Um, <laughs> and shame on whoever on Twitter posted the clip of him just destroying Townsend and then the gift cut short <laughs> and then cut it off yeah from the past it's like, very what? upsetting oh, the shame. the finest thing that i can see, say about the that turn uh is that in the commentary uh in the extended highlights on nbc um martin tyler called it a see turn which is a real just like down <laughs> like down in like in the city type uh you know you get done by by a, a nutmeg or something like that and someone yells see your uh you know in in like cockney london uh that that was one of the highest compliments that martin tyler's given liverpool in in maybe five or six years yeah um, but that that type of quality from a midfielder is just something that we haven't Scene. We we've had plenty of hardworking and and industrious midfielders who have have you know good quality, good range of passing, but I don't think we've ever seen a player like Keita who clearly sees the game differently um, from yeah. from anyone. Because even uh, last season, the, a player who played in a similar position would be Oxlade Chamberlain, but certainly just the way that Keita approaches the game. I I mean I've heard comparisons to to Iniesta and which I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with that one but um, it's longer, yeah but that type of vision being able to turn past a defender and look up and see that run from 60 yards you know yeah mm-hmm. uh, and make make a pinpoint pass over the top like that it's just it, it's a different level of quality than we've had in midfield in the the comparisons Iniesta Iniesta are you you can see after even just two games, you can kind of see what what they mean in regards to it. Because even if he's not contributing a goal or assist after two games, 
like his involvement in the buildup to those goals is, is as important as, as the front three. And, and that's something that Ines have made a, a career out of and looking back, you know, should have got a Ballon d'Or just, just, just for his overall contribution season in season out. And you, you kind of get that vibe. Now you can't obviously, like I said, com- compare McCollum and Iniesta, but you like, that's what comparisons are there for, right? You can see like that kind of style of play, um, just in, in, in his overall game and his approach. So I want to talk about the midfield composition for this match. So Klopp decided to stick with the same three that he had against West Ham. Can't really yeah. fault him, um, given the way that they played against West Ham. Obviously ran into a little bit stauncher opposition. I think we're kind of finding out that West Ham's a little bit of a paper tiger um, after getting yeah. beat by Bournemouth this weekend. So the demolition of them was not quite as impressive, I think, as maybe uh, some saw. But we, we saw that their midfield was weak against us. Um, Crystal Palace put up a little bit more of a fight. And it looked like Genie and Milner, not that they played poorly um, by any stretch of the imagination, but Genie and Milner were working a lot harder to uh, kind of manage the game rather yeah. than providing any kind of impetus forward. Well, I'm glad you said that because I thought I, I thought the same thing. Like they, they had solid performances against Palace, but isn't that why we've gone and upgraded our our midfield by about, you know, 80 to 90 million pounds is because, you know, solid, <laughs> solid isn't going to do the trick. And I think you're right. After West Ham, they were no, like even Genie, especially like Genie from preseason looked hungry. He looked like he was going to get forward and attack. Um, even if he's in a more kind of reserved role, which he definitely was in against palace, but against West Ham, he, he kind of had that spark to him. And I just, I didn't see that in the palace match. And I think that's why maybe we looked a little bit more flat. And, and the same can be said for Milner. So after their performance against West Ham, and, and I saw a couple of people say this on Twitter, you keep the players that impress and perform. You can't drop a player that, that puts in a performance or a shift like that. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think shout out to Simon Brundish, who we mentioned pretty much every, every pod. Uh, but I think he was the main guy with that, with that shout right before the match. Shout out, shout out to myself because I said it before before Cy did. Um, <laughs> so I think I think he probably stole it. But so anyway. shout out to at Gringo <laughs> in CDMX, aka Mexico City LFC, aka Pat. Anyway, so <laughs> but that's what I said. Like against Palace, I didn't see that. So I think it's going to come. The biggest omission that we're seeing right now is Fabinho, right? Because you know you spend 30, 40, 40 million on a player who is without a doubt out and out the number six that we need to bring in at some point. But right now, the way it goes, I think probably you drop, you drop either Genie or Milner for the upcoming match, but Hendo's probably going to get first shot at it. Hendo's probably going to play the six. Like you're not going to put Hendo in a box to box role with, with Genie and Milner or Genie and Kaita also in there. I think he'll drop back to that six, but then eventually then it just becomes a kind of waiting game of when is, when is Fabinho going to be introduced? And that's, I think, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Milner gets dropped. And so he kind of gets that feel for maybe if I want to put Genie in the six and push Hendo up a little bit, because that's where I think Hendo will reside. Um, both, both to get more out of his own performances, but also to contribute to the overall 11. 
and then Fabinho will slot in naturally in that six, which is what we're going to need, you know, once we start getting into some of these games against not just teams that we're trying to unlock, but, you know, higher quality opposition. Yeah, the, uh, I think I think Hendo coming on in the Palace match um, showed that obviously Klopp is eager to get him back in the side, um, but he's not he's not willing to throw him back in there. Obviously, after a long summer at the World Cup, and then he has you know a history of, of little uh, kind of minor injuries. Um, so when Hendo came on, I think he actually did exert a little bit more control in the midfield. And you can see again, um, yeah, what he brings to the team. Um, and that I honestly do think that he's, he's probably one of, uh, one of Klopp's first choices in, in a three man midfield, uh, because he can do a lot of different things. So regardless mm-hmm. of who he drops and who he introduces, Hendo can play, different roles uh depending on who who's out there and he kind of showed that for england this summer he's showed it for us in the past um and so i think i think you're spot on that fabinho eventually is going to be that guy we know that he's the defensive midfielder he's going to play in a six um and it was genie who was executing that role this week uh and when we talked about genie being involved in the squad like you said we kind of hoped that it would be in a more dynamic um, kind of ox role rather than yeah. uh, rather than in the six. But with Milner, he's not really the guy that you want um, playing that that last guy in front of the back four. And Genie's shown he can do the job, but it really does limit his impact on the game because he yeah. doesn't have the range of passing of a of a Henderson um, to really unlock a defense from that that kind of deep lying position. So uh, the next the next thing and. The, these next two points kind of kind of coincide, but <laughs> when Klopp makes a substitution um, later on in the in the second half and brings on Adam Lallana, was that not was your first thought not just why is is Jordan Shakiri not not coming onto the field right now? <laughs> and I know it's still like our sample size for Shakiri is, is very, very small, right? So we're not going off a lot, but instantly every time that he's come on, he looks like he's ready to explode. He looks like Klopp celebration for, <laughs> from that goal where he had like a jackhammer or whatever. That's like, that's what's happening. That's what's happening inside Shakiri's body. So I, I'm shocked to think, so I, I think you've got two options. In that case, like if you need somebody that's pressing like kind of more forward, pressing from the front and supporting the midfield, like Shakiri's your guy. Like he looked like he's ready, like even he looked like he's ready to murder somebody. And then Klopp comes over, he puts his arm around him, he smiles, and then he goes out on the pitch and again, he's ready to explode. And even like just imagine like you never know what's going to happen, right? Like because Lalana comes on gives up a dangerous free kick, pulls his best Lucas impression. Like, <laughs> maybe Shakiri does that, I don't know. But on the opposite end, like, who is going to be, like, when we generated the second goal um, from that counterattack with Salah and Mane linking up, like, imagine, like, Salah's not in that position. Do you want Shakiri there or do you want Lulana there? And you're you're an idiot if, <laughs> if you're saying Lulana in this situation. So. Yeah. From just all the things that Lalana does, and plus an added attacking bonus, 
Shakiri's your guy. If your goal is then to provide stability and more like defensive soundness, then you have to have Fabinho on the bench so you can bring him in in that situation. Like if you're a goal up and trying to secure a win and you've got a $40 million (laughs) (laughs) defensive, tall defensive midfielder that you can put on against Crystal Palace, that's, that's your goal. And you push Genie up to press. So I, it's just one game. Like I, I, I might've overreacted a little bit when I, when I said like, Hey, we never need to see Lilana again. Cause he could feature for us. Right. But in that, like in that situation, I'm just confused. Like you've got $50 million worth of signings on the bench that you can give in and give them a little chance to start making that push to say, Hey, I'm going to take this spot in the 11, but we know Lilana is not going to be there. So I, I was confused by that, by that substitution. And it's this lingering, lingering taste this lalana taste in our mouths that just won't go away so here's here's my my lingering issue with adam lalana it's well documented uh you can listen to the the archives if you guys want more of a history <laughs> of my hatred for lalana it goes back a, a while um but we we had a discussion on twitter with with a uh with a liverpool supporter and i i really hate I, I'm I'm being genuine. I really hate getting into arguments with with Liverpool supporters on Twitter. Yeah. It feels like fratricide. Like it feels like dirty almost. It's like we should be directing our hate at Fernie or um, you know really so, any uh, any other you know city supporters whoever. We should really be directing our anger in a in a different direction. <laughs> but the Adam Lallana and and you you address this in the in the thread, but. The Adam Lallana conversation, it, it ruins lives, it ruins friendships, <laughs> it ruins relationships because it is such a divisive topic. Um, and so my my current issue with Adam Lallana is like I like I laid out on, on Twitter today. He was at his best in sixteen seventeen. He had a he had a fine season and at that time, I even I had a couple of pods where I came out and I ate crow about Adam Alana because he he was contributing in the final third. We need to find those clips. Yeah, <laughs> maybe That's I can. Cool. I'll I'll look back through the. Uh, That's cool. <laughs> I'll look back through the archives and maybe I can insert something here. Um, but the the problem with Adam Alana is that he he gets injured, he has a long layoff. And he comes back, and he looks nothing like the player that contributed in sixteen seventeen. Um, and the thing that inf- the things that infuriated me about him when he first joined infuriate me now, um, <laughs> because he does he 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 has such a problem making the right decisions, and that's really Klopp is always talking about we have to make the right decisions in the right moments, and all you know that's like every press conference from Klopp is. We have to, you know, as long as we can make the right decision at the right time. And Lalana is the embodiment of not being able to do that, um, especially when he gets the ball in and around the box. But he even showed in this game that he loses his mind when he's defending, too. So he, he makes a, a just idiotic challenge that nearly leads to a Palace goal. And ultimately, I know if we want to break it down to the most reductionist argument possible. I will just point to the, to the, the champions league final and say that when we took off Salah, 
and we brought on Adam Olana, we were a far worse team. And not just because we took off one of the best players in the world, but because we added just a guy who has no edge. He has no ability to actually change a game. And that's ultimately Lolana is will always be the guy who, yeah, he might he might come up with something big in in a game. Like he reminds me of David Ross. Like from the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to make like a cross sports analogy. <laughs> He's a great clubhouse guy. He's great to have around the club. He's he's fantastic to have in the squad. Um but Ultimately, when it comes down to it, he's not the guy that you want in the lineup when the game's on the line. He might hit a home run in Game 7 of the World Series. Like, that might happen. <laughs> but it's super unlikely um, that Lalana is going to be that guy who pops up with the big goal or the big assist uh, or that big moment yeah. because he just – so often he, he just gets it wrong. Um, his career can be summed up in putting a – easy chance in the League Cup final off the post and having it fall to Coutinho to score. <laughs> that That's a perfect analogy for Adam Lallana's career. That so moment of from two yards hitting the post. <laughs> give way to world-class players. Here, here's my biggest problem with Lallana. And, and, and in our preview to it, I called it the myth of 16-17. Because there is no 16-17 Adam Lallana. There is the fall and winter of 2016. This was not a season where he consistently scored goals over time. He scored one goal <laughs> after <laughs> New Year's in 2017. He, he got injured a little Charleston. bit, but his run of games, he, he had a good half of the season. That's all he's ever contributed to us. There was no, Even that second half of the season before he got injured – there was no contribution from the start of the new year on. So Adam Lallana had an incredible half of the season. We can't take that away from him. He came up. He even, he even scored some decisive goals for us, right? But that, that was his peak. And we even, you know, he, yes, he got injured. He featured, you know, off and on as a sub for the most part last season. And, and he's never had that chance to impress. But even when he was at his peak, it wasn't that impressive. <laughs> Right. Even like the quintessential, like the most iconic Lilana goal is winner over, was it Norwich? Yeah. Like a miss hit, like kind into of bounces it into the goal, like <laughs> is, is his claim to fame. Yeah. And, and again, too, you, yes, you need good clubhouse guys. I think Lilana is a great, he's a great squad player to have, right? Like even maybe against West Ham or as much as we, you know, didn't like the substitution, maybe against uh, Crystal Palace if you need it. But they, there's, there is so much quality above him ready to bring in that it, that's why that substitution, I was like, why, just why? Why are you doing that? Like, give these players their shot. We know what Lalana is capable of. We know what he brings to the table, and it's not much. So leave that for leave those moments for... If injuries come up, if it's FA Cup, if it's League Cup, if it's even Champions League against lesser opposition, that's when Lalana can have his moments. Yeah. And, I mean, I just imagine Sala uh, collecting the ball off the corner, and he looks up and he finds Mane in real life, 
but I'm imagining a scenario in which he looks up and finds Lalana in Acres of Space on the left, and he's caught by Milivojevic tracking back. Not even Van Onholt. He's caught by the <laughs> midfield. <laughs> Out of the box. Um, yeah, it's just the the in the attacking positions, the quality we have is is far beyond Adam Lallana, who was a set, who was you know initially bought for those type of positions. Um, but our our front three has far surpassed him, and our midfield now has surpassed him as well. I think so. He is. He's, I think he's a luxury that we we can bring him off the bench. But if he if he's starting a game, I just I hope it's you know it's the third round of the FA Cup and we're playing like Preston <laughs> North End or something. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the of the offense, it was despite the fact you know despite the the quality of our our players at the at the front of the pitch, uh, it was a little bit of a tougher game for Liverpool's forwards than we're used to. We're used to going out and being able to just slice teams to bits um, and. They had a little more trouble against Crystal Palace. So uh, the the main player who just seemed kind of squeezed out of the game a little bit was was Roberto Firmino, um, who obviously we're, we're very high on here. But he uh, he had a little trouble asserting himself on the game. And do you have any theories as to as to why that was? It's tough to. <laughs> we love like developing theories and making predictions about players when they're doing well after two games. <laughs> but then if a player is struggling, we're like, well, it's only two games, you know, it's too, it's too early to take any judgments on them, but that's all we do is judge. But from Firmino, <laughs> yeah, he's, we, we kind of says, you know, he's, he's dropping, you know, in an office space, like deeper and deeper and deeper, way, way down. But it's not like that to me. Hasn't been it. Like, he just hasn't, and it, it. I think it's just the dynamic more of the fullbacks than maybe it is Firmino. And what I mean is that, like, Mane and Salah definitely have kind of two clear roles that they do. Mane likes to cut in with the ball. Salah likes to cut in without the ball. And what we've seen from Trent is kind of like straightforward delivery, typically straight to Salah. Um, but there's not a ton... And in the first game, yes, and Firmino was noticeably noticeably better. But in the second match, there wasn't there wasn't a ton of chances, like clear cut chances created, especially in and around the six, which is typically where Firmino shines. And so I just haven't seen him be more of a presence. I haven't seen him be a balance between Mane and Salah like he was consistently last season, um, especially against the first half against Palace, like. I feel like he started drifting more out wide and taking up space there and receiving the ball a little bit more against Palace. But but I just didn't see that balance as he was that kind of, you know, central cog between Mane and Salah and making things happen. It seemed to be more Robertson to Mane, uh, Trent to Salah. And I think that's why if you look even at, like, the, the XG chain that, that Trent and... Uh, uh, Trent and Robertson are both super high up on that too, because I think they they're having a little bit more direct involvement. Um, it, the stats look good for them, but I'm not so sure that's what we want in terms of creating chances. It's just leaving it's leaving Firmino isolated, and it's asking Salah and Mane to kind of create on their own, which they can, but at least Firmino out, kind of out of it, right? And I think we definitely saw that 
more so in the first half of Palace, I thought, too. And But, you know, then it remains to be seen, do you want Firmino drifting out left onto the wing to to take up more of a, a, a commanding role in the offense? I don't think that's ideal either. Right. And so with, with Firmino in particular, one thing that uh, there were a couple of moments in the first half uh, where he was very close to kind of creating that, that opening chance. Um, yeah. There's one pass in particular where uh, he received the ball near, near uh, midfield and beat a player on the, dri- on the dribble just with a, a quick kind of move and, and tried to play in Mane down the left, and the ball was just a little overhit. Um, and that was within the first maybe five or seven minutes of the game uh, yeah. uh, you know, of kickoff. And I think if one of the you know if one of those passes comes off, then we're talking about a, a completely different performance from Firmino, yeah, you know, because he he you know has an assist or or creates a big chance or or something like that. Um, so I think early, very early on, Palace looked to to kind of isolate the threat of of Firmino. Um, so they really packed the center. Um, and looking at the average positions from Crystal Palace, they really like basically put their wide midfielders, uh, you know, Zaha um, and uh, and Townsend. Their average positions were far closer to the to the middle of the field than than they yeah. normally would be because they weren't trying Especially to. Townsend. Yeah, Townsend was basically playing as like a third central midfielder. Um, and then Zaha was kind of kind of floating around in behind Benteke, um, but I think I think that was all trying to just clog up the the passing lanes in the center of the field. So it led us to try to create all our chances down the wings, which obviously you know if if Firmino, yeah. like you said, normally he'd be involved um, if we're able to get crosses into you know near the penalty spot or or somewhere like that. Um, but a lot of our crosses went deep, uh, like to the far post and uh, to those type of areas, looking for our wide, our you know our wingers um, instead. And so I think Firmino was kind of, I think Palace did a good job of kind of game planning to yeah. to keep Firmino from being influential. Are you giving credit to Roy Hodgson right now? Is that what you're doing? Saying they they set up well, they were well organized, well coached. Is that <laughs> yes, what you just said? But here's here's. <laughs> But I'm going to qualify it with this statement, which is Hodgson is the master of being the manager of Crystal Palace. And when I say Crystal Palace, <laughs> I mean a team that's not expected to finish in the, the European spots. It is Crystal Palace. It, it, like insert Fulham, insert every, every team he's coached. <laughs> it, as long as there's not pressure on him to actually succeed. I like that you didn't say perform. No, succeed. You said succeed. Because <laughs> there's an expectation that they perform to a certain level, but it's not high. They're not expected to take down any of the top six. They're, you know, they're expected to win some home games, maybe take, maybe take a win off of, off of one of the big six at home, and then beat, you know, beat the, the bottom half um, for the most part, finish eighth, and be good. That's, like, that's Roy Hodgson's specialty. And he did it. He did it at Fulham. He's do, he's doing it at Palace, and he did it at Liverpool too. <laughs> he did the exact same thing that he's done his whole career, which is finish in eighth place 
and maybe backdoor into the into the Europa League um, via one of the cups or something. So that's uh, <laughs> that's his specialty. So he is the expert in losing two nil, a very highly organized two nil. <laughs> so basically, my my dream score line is I, I should have been following a, a Roy Hodgson led Fulham. In, in certain matches throughout the season is what you're saying. As long as you're a fan of the other team <laughs> and want them to <laughs> like, man, they looked really organized as they lost two nil. Like that's <laughs> they, they did. They in, and I saw this put out there a couple of times, like they were so like centralized and compact with eight, nine, nine players, but there was so much space at the wings. I was so, and you made a good point to say, like, on the left side, it looks a little bit more down, balanced, right? With Kaita coming in to support the link-up between Robertson and Mane. And there looks like there's, a more, there's more of an overlap there. But I just did, there is so much space. And I think even I tweeted this, like, they're at their, their left back with, with Alexander Arnold being forward, just one-on-one with these people. But never did I see like, Sala. He doesn't always stay there. Sometimes he drifts inside. But to have Salah stay there, and cre- it's not going to create a two-on-one because Salah's going to bring one or two defenders with him. But if Milner or Genie were to push over, like now you've got you can expose space to have Trent get in behind and deliver something a little bit more dangerous. And I was just confused why why we didn't see that. It was almost like we were playing a little bit more conservative. But that's why I'm kind of excited to see Hendo in in that more box-to-box role, because that's where he takes up space, is on that attacking kind of right. And he's not afraid to get in and overlap, similar to Milner. But I, yeah, Mil- Milner, you feel like he's, he might be more comfortable attacking from the left. But Hendo, like, I'm just excited to see more Hendo crosses, or even him just creating for Trent to find space in. And so now you've got Firmino in a more active role, ready to shoot or distribute to Salah and Mane, we're also probably in the box. So that's, I think, why, let's be honest, we still dominated against Palace, but that's why it didn't look like it was quite to the level that it was against West Ham is because we didn't, it, it seemed good on the left. We just, we were comfortable just having Trent, you know, dish it in to the box on the right. And that's doing Salah a disservice and it's doing Firmino a disservice because they're, you know, they're not going to compete against five, six defenders <laughs> in in and around the six for aerial balls. So, yeah, I think and and uh, we saw in the in the Palace match that everything positive uh, in an attacking sense was was more or less going through, like down that left side. Yeah, Robertson, Keita, Mane, um, and I think in in the future, like you said, the the idea is to is to you know, duplicate that on the right, um, and, and the midfield um, personnel are, are maybe not correct, or maybe even the the instructions that those midfielders are are sent out with uh, don't really match the same as you know. Keita is able to link up play between Robertson and Mane very simply um, because of the role he's been given. Um, so maybe that maybe that added cover from Hendo leads to a little more freedom. Uh, and and it, it did seem a little conservative from Trent uh, because you'd expect him to, to try to put a ball, you know, into the feet of Mane and then either look for the overlap or at least 
create that run to try to create space for for Mo to turn and yeah. um, cut inside. So either way, I think those attacking trios. Um, I think I think you put it well, and if we can create that down both flanks, now we've created a dilemma where we've given the opposing team to, they have to deal with issues down both flanks, and now in the center of the field there should be a little more space. So um, yeah. the one player that I want to highlight in, in offense is who had a brilliant game um, despite, mm. uh, you know, he got his goal very, very late on, but was so influential for throughout, and that's that's Sadio Mane, who he's he's got three goals in two games, um, and uh, he's off to a good start. in in my just prediction. just say what you just say what you really want to say. <laughs> tell, tell us why you're highlighting Mane right now. No, I, for uh, selfish reasons, I, I predicted that Mane is going to have a big season. I think he's going to have thirty plus goal involvements in all competitions, um, which is now looking like a low (laughs) estimate uh, after two games. But uh, Mane Mane is looking like he's hitting, he's hitting the heights um, of, of kind of what we've expected from him. So it's, it's kind of interesting to follow the the ebb ebb and flow of, of Mane's Liverpool career, but he came to the club and immediately hit the highs because he was the top goal scorer on what yep. was ultimately a kind of a mediocre team for lack of not to yeah. denigrate the the players that are obviously still around and performing um but he really took charge of of finishing chances and kind of dragged us through a really difficult period um in that second half of the of the 16-17 season um, yeah. once he came back from the the African Cup of Nations and then Fast forward to the winter of the following season, and everyone is saying, Should, <laughs> "Does he even belong at the club? Do, you know, like, is he even good enough to play for Liverpool?" Um, which seems insane. Uh, but now, I think he's he's ridden that wave all the way back up to where he was. He was one of our best performers consistently through the end of the season last season. Oh yeah, even even when people were ridiculing him. He's getting a goal and assist every game, and he's bagging a hat trick against Porto. So it's yeah. like <laughs> that. That's Scoring what I bangers on New Year's on New Year's Day against Burnley <laughs> with his left foot sick as a dog. Um, so, <laughs> like Mane's left foot, like pile drivers are just what I live for. Just an absolute, just spiking the ball. Just it. It's almost like, uh, uh, like the way he connects with his left foot is almost like Clarence Seedorf's like. You know, just connection, like yeah. just pure, like it looks like it's just going to keep going up. If, if there was no stadium, like it would just start orbiting the earth like that. <laughs> that's the trajectory of Mane's left foot. It's still going but, up when it goes in the net. Like that's the he's he's going to he's going to bust a net with with one piece. <laughs> that, that's why I'm that's what I'm pushing for. Hashtag Mane bust a net at some point this season. And but I, and I want that to sound as disgusting as possible, but busting that, that, <laughs> those are just the type of feels I get from Sadio Mane. Yeah. He, he really does though. Now look like the player, um, uh, you know, a top, top player in the league, the type, the type that can go on and, you know, win, win awards, like individual awards yeah. in, in the league. And, it wasn't just his, you know, because obviously he's able to create chances. The overlaps with with Robertson 
the link-up play with, with Keita. But Sadio Mane, I, I want to highlight this as well, because there were some real moments of quality in the opening about 20 minutes of the game that got overlooked due to the fact that we didn't, we didn't score. But Mane, in addition to Keita's near, you know, world-class assist, Mane made yeah. a pass out of, out of our own half, an absolute scything ball to Salah. <laughs> um, Sako ended up blocking, yep. blocking the shot. Uh, from Mo, but uh, Mane made it. I, I called it a, a ten out of a, a ten out of ten pass in the number ten. Um, but he, uh, <laughs> you're he just really, excited to say ten now at this yeah, point. I mean, he looks like he's he's really taken taken to his kind of increased importance at the club and just the uh, ex- expectation that he's going to be able to provide uh, goals and assists all season. We we got a man we got a man that can do both right he's because he's never out and out just like a a, a a ten and maybe like a midfield three or a four two four two three one anything like that like he is it's almost like it's almost like Salah you know winger winger the vast majority of the time but like just you know said earlier on the pod like if Salah cuts in it's without the ball and he kind of takes up that nine role. Mane likes to do it with the ball. So we've got this incredible dynamic from that front three that, yeah, it, it, and it's just a matter of Mane, like, you know, uh, staying healthy, not <laughs> not leaving for AFCON or anything like that, and just being able to put this sort of, but I think he's, you can see him kind of finding this groove where, I don't know, he's just, as much as I love Salah, Mane is still probably alongside Sturridge, one of my favorite players to watch, just because... Like with Salah, he's like, he gets the ball and it's terrifying because he's gonna go, he's gonna go straight at you. He's he and he's gonna create a chance or he's gonna get a shot off. Mane, you don't really know what, <laughs> you don't really know what he's gonna do. Like you don't know if he's gonna lay it off central, if he's gonna lay it off to Robertson, or like he did toward I think at some point in the second half where he just took two Palace defenders on, just destroys them, and and somehow it ended up being a goal kick, but. <laughs> like that that's what I love about Mane is there's this there's this level to a, a, of uncertainty about him it's almost it almost kind of reminds me of when we had Sako <laughs> who, who played well aside from his penalty but it kind of reminds me of Sako like you know there's this there's a style to his game that you know you can't necessarily put your finger on it but but it's definitely exciting to watch and Mane's is more because you don't know what to expect, and Sacco's is like you're slightly terrified because you don't know what to expect. But either either way, I think he's coming into that role and and just gonna. I mean, there's no reason like the performances you see against Mane. There's no reason why he's not going to do that every single match of this season when he's fit and healthy. Yeah, the uh, and obviously just going a little more in depth about Mane Mane's goal. Uh, I I think we saw a lot of his a lot of his positive qualities in that, but the biggest one for me is just the touch that he takes, knowing that he's got uh, Van Onholt beat for pace. Um, yeah. He puts the ball into space and goes across the defender because he knows he's, he knows he's got Van Onholt beat, and he knows that if he goes across him, Van Onholt can't take him down because he'll, he'll see red as well. Um, yeah. And so it's just that... It was something that was called into question last season. Was Mane's kind of, uh, you know, football IQ, and like, was he making the right decisions? 
it just shows he's jealous jealous of Sala. Right? It just <laughs> right, obviously. And it just shows that in, in those moments at a hundred miles an hour, he's he's still making good decisions. Um, and then to stay on his feet, despite the fact that Van Aanholt does take a bite at him and does <laughs> potentially, he could have gone down and, and probably gotten a red. Um, yeah. But he stays on his feet. He beats the keeper while he's stumbling and then just slots home. He's, he's the... How he kept control, I, I have no idea. It's incredible. I have no idea how he kept control. And, it, and it's funny because now it's taken, as, it's taken so in stride by Liverpool fans. A, 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 break, a, you know, a counterattack goal like that is, is just part of the... Oh, yeah, just, just run of the, the mill. Yeah, just... <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's a really a remarkable a, goal in the end by, by Mane. So I, I just think that this is such a big season for him, and, uh, you know, it could potentially... Obviously, with the with the added quality we have, it's it's just very exciting to see a game in which we didn't absolutely destroy our opponents um, in every way, but in almost every measurable category we controlled the game about as much as you could and still created created chances uh, while limiting the opponents so ultimately that that's what gets you towards you know towards the top of the table and towards the towards the trophies so 100 percent so uh transitioning from kind of our serious talk to more of our kind of roundup we we've 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 done a few of these, uh, these these social media roundups. The the shit takes. Maybe we should call it. Maybe that's what we'll call it. The shit takes. Um, but some of the <laughs> exposing the the darker the darker segments of of football Twitter. You know, I we started. I started out so positive because I said, you know what, let's hit the ground running. Let's let's have a let's have a Twitter hero. Because most of the time we're talking about like who who really let us down on Twitter this year or who had who had those <laughs> shit takes, and I wanted to lead off positive, but I just can't because thirty minutes ago I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but mid pod, Ponchi our favorite El Paso Gooner, yeah. puts out a tweet. He tags Brian Laz, who also includes that many A's and Z's in his <laughs> Gmail address. <laughs> Tags El Paso Reds, now run by Jose, and E.P. Gooners. It's a fake movie poster of Dude, Where's My Car? (laughs) Except now it says, Dude, Where's My Flag? And in the place of who I believe is Ashton Kutcher is our own Brian Laz rocking a Liverpool jersey, throwing up either the Shocker or West Side... Uh, and, and that is what Ponchi has posted in the last 30 minutes. So I, we tried, honest to God, we tr- I wanted to say, let's do something positive. Where's that Twitter hero? And now I saw Ponchi come at us with dude, where's my flag. And so this is just going to be constant for the 18, 19 years. So we have to win the title this year. Otherwise it's just going to go down as the, the flag gate in El Paso. So I wanted to put that out there, look out for it. I, I wish I could say that I, I, I knew Ponchi's better than this, but we know Ponchi's not. Like, the king no. of, I'm not even going to say Photoshop, because he's definitely using Microsoft Paint to generate these images. But, dude, where's my flag? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
super impro- superimposing Laz's face over Ashton Kutcher, which he you know, is he is doing the shocker as well. Is that is the shocker, right? Yeah. Ponchi's Ponchi's caption uh, <laughs> accompanying <laughs> this. Rotten Tomatoes gave this flick twenty two percent, which yeah, is right. not how Rotten Tomatoes works. Um, in Brian's defense, Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is a um, is you know in a a uh, aggregation of reviews, right? Both by users and by so Rotten Tomatoes doesn't review movies. That's yeah. what I'm trying yeah, to get more, at. More of a defense of Rotten Tomatoes than Brian and. <laughs> In this situation. Because Rotten Tomatoes just <laughs> aggregates the reviews. They don't actually review movies. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes did not give Dude, Where's My Flag 22%. Let's just get one thing straight. <laughs> yeah, and if, if we could review it, I, that, that is certified fresh in, yeah. in my opinion. But anyway. I'm bringing VAR into this one. <laughs> so our, our, our Twitter hero, as I like to call it, was one Alex Mansfield. I don't know. Do you follow Alex on Twitter? I do. And, At uh, he's L a good, underscore he's a good Mansfield. Right? Solid, solid follow. But just as we said at the start, like, if you, if you come at the king or the hop god, in, in our case, you best not miss. He, and now I'm seeing that tweets are unavailable. He eviscerated these Man City, <laughs> these Man City supporters that were saying, like, oh, Ederson, you know. Ederson far better than than Allison, whatever. And yep. maybe at the start of the season, I'd say, yeah, maybe we give the Ederson, you know, we give the edge Ederson in terms of distribution. But it's not even close this season. And so Mansfield comes out here and just bombards them with long ball completion, short, medium pass completion. Uh, I, I think even like XG chain or XG buildup, he includes, yep. he notes... Ederson's assist, but then he counteracts that with the pass map of Allison's distribution to Firmino in like open play under pressure. And so he just crushed these accounts who I'm assuming have now deleted. And then, (laughs) (laughs) but then at the very end, the city response was, well, Ederson won a trophy, which (laughs) is, is it, is it, it's a fair point he has, but it's tough if you're debating like Allison in Liverpool and Ederson in City. Like, you know, Allison really hasn't had, you know, the opportunity after two games to win a trophy with Liverpool. But it's <laughs> right. undeniable who has had the better start to the season. <laughs> so I love that just because it was a complete destruction mm-hmm. of faux arguments on Twitter, which we hate. So cap off to our Twitter hero of the week. Alex Mansfield. I also want to highlight something that, um, well, one, I want to highlight a couple of the accounts that he did destroy, uh, one of which deleted his tweets, um, <laughs> which <laughs> takes your takes your idea of sensual, sensual Sturridge or Dancing Daniel or, you Sturridge know. Sturridge season. Sturridge season or Man Like Joyce, uh, you know, those type of accounts. <laughs> Um, takes it to a new level with Foden sauce, as in Phil Foden, the young City Academy uh, player, Foden sauce. Uh, He's since deleted his tweets after being uh, just absolutely dismantled by Alex. Um, (laughs) But the other weird thing is that, and I've 
found this uh, more recently, too, with the release of Cities documentary on, on Amazon, um, which is a, is a good watch for, you know, you want to see the behind the scenes and yeah. realize that, like, the motivational speeches given by top Premier League managers are so cliche. It's unreal. <laughs> like, I can't believe that that is what is used to motivate millionaires, but... Um, but there's this weird kind of love for City where most of the time, and I think most of the top six hates City. Like, most of the top six fans have started to cultivate a healthy, a healthy hatred for City. But there's this yeah, weird love for City in, amongst certain fan bases. They've, I swear to God, they root for them. Like, um, and so one of the accounts that Mansfield had to respond to in defense – in people attacking him about City's keeper was a West Ham account. <laughs> it's like, do you have nothing better to do than to get into arguments defending a team, a different team's keeper? Like, <laughs> they're still a little bitter after Week One, so it's crazy. So I just That's it, just West Ham fans in general on Twitter, like yeah. the the absolute worst. They're just trying to get involved, however they can. Yeah, like <laughs> trying to get into the conversation. The silent. Or no 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 the the extremely loud minority that makes absolutely no sense is West Ham Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> so the next the next step from our Twitter hero Alex Mansfield congratulations congratulations to Alex for being our inaugural Twitter hero Twitter, Twitter hero two red gringos Twitter hero <laughs> certified fresh <laughs> are we allowed Just to say that, fresh. Or is that a... yeah I think I don't yeah well I mean what <laughs> well, are rotten they tomatoes do? give us a bad what review they, what are they gonna do. Um, so from Twitter hero to Instagram villain, what caught the ire of, of those, of those grammars out there? Um, once they were done taking stylized pictures of their girlfriends on the beach, um, for the big accounts, you know, the boyfriends of Instagram went back to, went back to the app and, and what did they, what did they find? Why? I'm 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 giving Gerard a pass on was it Angel Water, like mm-hmm. one because I respect Angel Water's deviance in saying let's just take a bottle of water, let's hollow out the middle, give people less water and say like hey you can hold it, as if people have been struggling to hold a bottle of water. It's like nothing but respect to Angel and Water. To if get, it was available, I would buy it. And then to get Stevie out there doing chugging contests of water. On Instagram, and people actually—I mean—they responded to that. Oh yeah! If, if if Angel Water is available to me right now, I would buy it in bulk. Like that, <laughs> I, I'm committed to that. What I don't understand, and it has to be like, okay, I'll put it out there. I'll let you guys decide. So Stephen Gerard posts, and you know Stephen Gerard can do no wrong, except this post. Fabulous candles of London, AOK emoji, wink emoji, hashtag ad. It's just Stevie, Stevie G sitting there at maybe his dining room table with a series of candles. And that's all it is. It's just Stevie G with candles. It's not like Stevie G like prepping or like rocking some Adidas boots or anything like that. It's just Stevie G with candles. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like why? Why does Stevie G have all of these candles? Why is he not saying, like, 
you know, like after a long day of training, these candles help the house smell fresh. Like not, <laughs> not even making an attempt at doing it. And I'm also upset to build off that. I'm also upset with Liverpool Goals, who's a great Instagram account to follow for, as you might imagine, Liverpool Goals. But they respond by saying, YNWA, you never walk alone and love you. Like, just fishing, fishing for Stevie G, like, to favorite it or something, so that they can put that in their bio, like, on 8-22-2018, Steven Gerrard liked my comment. So, <laughs> so I'm really just upset with, like, I was happy with most things I saw on Twitter, upset with Instagram. I'm assuming Stevie G is just doing it for the wife. Like, she must have started this candle company or done some type of investment. And Stevie G's like, all right, I'll put that shit on my account. I'll get a quarter million likes, and, and there you go. So that was going to be my theory, is are you familiar? You're, you're obviously, uh, you've watched you know, The Office. You're a fan of The, fan of the Office. Of course. Steve Carell is in a, his character Michael Scott is in a relationship with his old boss, Jan, who's fired <laughs> from Dunder Mifflin. Yeah, Levinson Gould. No Jan, <laughs> Jan starts a candle company by the name of Serenity by Jan. <laughs> <laughs> and takes up two rooms of Michael's condo, one for her business office, one for her candle design uh, studio. And when Pam and Jim come over for dinner, for a dinner party, uh, they try to push... <laughs> Serenity by Jan on on them. It's basically to try to get them to invest. And so I, as soon as I saw the post, I thought, "This is uh, this is Mrs. Gerard. This has Mrs. Gerard written all over it." So let me let me get this straight. In one episode of the Two Regringos, you praised the managerial techniques of Roy Hodgson, and you compared Stephen Gerard and his wife Alex Gerard to. Michael Scott and Jan Levinson. Is that <laughs> is that what you're telling me? That is a very <laughs> simplified version of what went down. <laughs> if in in the highlights, whenever we post this, that's basically what I'm going to say is <laughs> Phil Bakke praises Roy Hodgson, tarnishes the name of Stephen Gerrard in this episode. That's that is not what happened, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll you, let the listeners decide. You you called him an Instagram villain to begin, so I was just saying that he's supporting his wife's candle company. I don't know if I ever <laughs> called him a villain per se. <laughs> Although in the in the in the pre work doc, I did say Instagram villain Stephen Gerard. So. <laughs> Quite literally, I did. So. Um... So the next uh, the next match we we've got coming up Saturday. Mm. Pre finally a good time too. Okay, yeah, prime time. Um, prime time. I believe it's a ten, it's a ten thirty kickoff here in El Paso. I think. Yep. Um, so on a Saturday, obviously Texas drinking laws allow us to uh, <laughs> allow us to enjoy. Uh, so often they deny us the the opportunity, but. Um, but yeah, so another another big match on Saturday. Um, you got uh, any any predictions? 
Sick, just five zero. Just, just, <laughs> just a casual five. Just destroy them from getting, getting City back on on goal difference. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, it is. It is one of those games where um, I like that we're following up United um, with them having just played Brighton because uh, I think it'll give us a little <laughs> bit of a barometer. Because uh, I think I know where United are at, having watched the Leicester and Brighton performances. Um, but I want to make sure, and just make sure that we, there's the distance between us that I think there is. So <laughs> A lot of daylight. We just, we just need an assertive, an assertive win. I, I think any, any, anything by three clear goals, um, I would love another clean sheet uh, mm. because the last, uh, the last title challenge... Uh, was defined by by an opening um, three one nils um, <laughs> three very different type of uh, yeah, clean sheets in in thirteen fourteen. But I just I I would I would enjoy a, a third straight clean sheet and just really set the tone because I think we're almost at the point where the expectation has been you know is being set in the in the defense and not not amongst the fans yeah. but but amongst the players the expectation is we don't allow goals ever <laughs> that's i and and really it's kind of been that way since since van dyke joined is allowing a goal is more of an anomaly um especially at home um so oh yeah so i think uh i th- i think we we will most likely make brighton suffer um on the back of a a good three points Pain. against united but that is uh, that it, that is really, I mean, and we look at teams like Palace or Brighton or really whoever in the league now. Uh, we just hope that some of these teams can take points off of the off of the big boys, <laughs> mainly City, um, because yeah. I think they dropped points in six of thirty eight games. Um, <laughs> so. In that, <laughs> which is absurd. They literally won thirty two matches that's just insane so to be able to to match uh, a pace like that i don't think anyone's looking to to get to 100 points but you just pray that some of these smaller teams can can take a point or two off of the off of our rivals yeah meanwhile we need to crush them so exactly here's to next week or (laughs) here's to this weekend yeah so uh so in in honor of because at the beginning of the episode we started with a a song that you know, I thought slapped, but yeah, you, know, you can. <laughs> everyone has their own opinion. Um, I uh, I saw that a a band you're um looking forward to seeing, maybe, <laughs> or just maybe listen to way too much. So I since I since I had uh, that. At the beginning, I wanted to give you the the opportunity to pick the the song that we that we close out to, um, but you have to use that band since you referenced them today <laughs> in in reference to my Hoobastank. So, so, so Fallout Boy. Yep. In my opinion, definitely slaps. They, I, I would also say they do, but you have to now pick a pick a song to close us out, and I am putting you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's just go, not quite my favorite one. Let's just go Immortals, because I think that's a good one for, uh, for this Liverpool squad. Fair enough. Hey, with any luck. as we close out uh, obviously check out the two red gringos at two red gringos uh, you can follow me or pat at baki balboa and then pat at mexico city lfc uh, if you like what you heard uh, subscribe on itunes we're also on google play uh, we're looking to expand into some more platforms uh, in the near future uh, we got some things in the works, but uh, follow us there, subscribe, uh, and then look on our website. We've got a nice little LFC treat, the Bobby Dazzler Leisure Jersey. Um, get your orders in soon if you want full customization, because I'm going to stock a certain amount uh, at the end of this week, and then once uh, once they're stocked, no more customization. So, um, but. Get your your customized Bobby Dazzler shirt uh, at tworedgringos.com. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for, for new episodes on the horizon as uh, Liverpool continue their, their march towards glory. Um, and uh, for Pat Staley, this is, this is Phil Bakke. Adios. Thanks for the memories.